start a new series in about two weeks after I teach the discipleship lesson downstairs. That's important to me because when people sit through discipleship, I want them, I want to be in the pulpit, but I also want those going through that class to hear from me on a few lessons. So I like to spend some time with them. There's a 16-lesson course, and I think I teach about four of them. And so I appreciate you letting me get down there. Some of you are like, I didn't let you do anything. You just told me about it. But tonight we're going to look at the ministry of Jesus. That could be a series in itself, right? So Jesus died on the cross. Well, you don't have to be religious to be familiar with that story. It's kind of a, kind of a pretty famous story that most people know, even if you don't go to church or if you don't consider yourself a believer. If you are a believer, then there's no doubt that you have faith that God has power. There's no doubt that when we pray that, hey, there's a need, that if you're a believer, you're saying, I'm going to pray for this because guess what? I know Jesus has power. I know he can heal. He performed miracles. He's wise, but not, you know, in his day when we read in scripture, not everyone liked Jesus. Some were willing to give their life for him and others wanted to take his life. What an interesting figure, not only as our God, but as this human being who walked this earth as God manifest in flesh. His humanity is intriguing. To this day, theologians and scholars will argue about who is Jesus and what is Jesus and, and the deity of Jesus. So tonight, I thought it'd be interesting to just look at Jesus. After all, look at this scripture. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 35. It says, Then Philip opened his mouth, he began at the same scripture. Here's a, here's a eunuch in the middle of the desert, and he's preached unto him Jesus. Next verse says, they're on their way. They see water, and the eunuch says, hey, there's water. What hinders me from getting baptized? And I always laugh when I read this verse because I'm a preacher. I want the sermon outline. At least in Acts 2, Peter, we kind of know what he says. Here, Philip is just like, and he preached unto him Jesus. Next verse, the guy wants to be baptized. It's because you can't preach Jesus without water baptism. It's part of salvation. But that's all it says. The writer Luke here simply says Philip's message was about Jesus. That's it. Not too much to that, right? Wrong. Great things happen when we preach Jesus. Great things happen when Jesus is hope, salvation, redemption, power, authority, love, mercy, faithfulness, goodness. And those are just a couple things off the top of my head. We could go on and on about what Jesus is. Like other preachers, I probably err sometimes on not just preaching Jesus enough. So we know the birth story of Jesus. He was born of a virgin in the city of Bethlehem. He was raised in a carpenter's home in Nazareth of Galilee. At the age of 12, they find him in a temple, blowing the minds of the religious scholars of that day. By the age of 30, he steps into the public by, with purpose by finding his cousin John and having John baptize him in the, the Jordan River. And after his baptism, he goes on a 40-day fast in the wilderness where the devil tempts him three times. And three times, Jesus refutes him with Scripture. I fly through these things quickly because I don't want to focus on 
the Christmas story or the birth of Jesus. I want to focus kind of tonight a little bit on the ministry of Jesus. If we focused on the whole life of Jesus, you would not get out of here in a decent amount of time. At least when I focused on just the ministry, you at least have a prayer that we're going to wrap up by 11 or so. Um, the one, I only heard one person say preach. Nobody likes that when people, when people do that, you know? <laughs> kind of like when, the, when a pastor's been preaching a long message, and they're like, I'm about to wrap up, and somebody shouts, which I never have heard that here, by the way. But in other churches, I've heard, take your time, you know? And then, like, the people are surrounding that person are kind of like, oh, you say that again. Watch, say that again. Because <laughs> Sunday, you know, like, I'm the only person. I saw a meme this past week of, like, the pastor, and there's, like, a mountain, and I'm the only person standing between you and lunch sometimes, you know, on Sundays. But... Uh, I want to I do my best to sum up his earthly ministry. That's, that's laughable. I'm not going to be able to do that. But I want to I I dive in just a little bit. and Maybe we'll be able to glean something. So it, it's after his fasting in time in the wilderness that Jesus now steps into full-fledged ministry. Matthew 4, 12 starts telling us about it. He says, now when Jesus heard John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast. And I'm going to drop in little nuggets as we go. But notice when he steps into ministry, he, he leaves where he had been before. Sometimes if God's calling you into something, sometimes you got to leave some things behind to go into the places where, where God has planned for you. And so leaving Nazareth, he came to Capernaum, which is upon the east coast and the borders of Zebulun and Nephthalim. And that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The land of Zabulon and the land of Nephilim, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light. To them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Which if you were to go back, guess what the message his cousin John preached? the exact same thing. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's why John is known as the forerunner to Christ. He paved the way because there's, there's 400 plus years of silence between the, the, the Old and New Testament where God is not speaking to his people. And all of a sudden, the next voice from God that we read come on the scene is John. And he comes on the scene saying, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus steps into full-time ministry here, really, devotes his life to ministry. First message, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. So just like his cousin preached, he preaches the same thing. The Greek word matineo is, for repent means changing one's mind or purpose. Kind of that about face, right? That notice when we make, we, I say it all the time, we make the about face. It doesn't change my location, but it changes my direction. And so when God calls on change from humanity, humanity doesn't always respond well when we're challenged to change. Because sometimes we actually like, we're enjoying where we are. And sometimes we don't want to hear the correction or the discipline or the word calling us to change. But just remember, Proverbs 12.1 says, to learn, you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. I don't know about you, but growing up, when my dad said, Gary, you did what at school? 
go wait for me in the bedroom. And then he would tell me, one day you're going to thank me for this. And I'm like, eight, ten, you know, seven, six. I'm like, if there was one thing I could have bet my life on, it would have been the fact that I would never thank my dad for discipline. You don't understand those things till you get older. And then my dad, Lord rest his soul, much to his delight, when I gave my speech at my high school graduation, I thanked him for all his discipline and keeping me on the straight and narrow, and I made his, probably his life with that. But to learn, you must love discipline. I don't know if we love discipline, but we understand its necessity. And I, and the Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he corrects. I pray that God will always love me enough to not let me stay the same. And so during his teaching on the Beatitudes, known as on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus then starts talking about what he, why, that he, he did not abolish the law of Moses. He came to accomplish its purpose. And so as you read through this, you can almost sense that Jesus is already facing some resistance in his ministry and in his teachings. Because he wasn't just out there saying, yeah, and here's what I'm going to. He's almost kind of defending it. He's going, hey, I did not come. To abolish the law of Moses because his audience, mainly Jews, were there still, still embracing the law of Moses. And so here Jesus is going, guys, I'm not here to abolish that. I'm here to fulfill its purpose. Because most likely, we see it later, and it was probably already starting, of accusatory remarks about him and his ministry and his, and his teaching. And from that point on, it seems like he was continually offending the Jewish leaders who followed him. Though he was born in King David's bloodline, there were some names in his lineage that didn't ignite immediate respect for the choices they made in their day. By the way, when I was preparing this, I wanted to dive into that. I, could, I have to stick to my notes tonight because otherwise I could tell we could take this a thousand different ways. Because even the bloodline, the names that were written in there, in his genealogy, you could, you could see grace even in the bloodline of Christ. Even the fact that Jesus came from Nazareth, a very unprestigious place, didn't help him with popularity. People didn't say, you're from Nazareth? Wow, that's awesome. You're from where? Nazareth? You combine that with the fact that he's closely, closely associated with his cousin John, who, and you're going to see that things just weren't off to a good start from, for Jesus through human eyes. His closest known relative, like I say, John, he castigated the, the, the political leaders of that day. Look at Matthew 14, 3. For Herod had arrested and imprisoned John as a favor to his wife Herodias, the former wife of Herod's brother Philip. John had been telling Herod, it's against God's law for you to marry her. Again, people don't want correction. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of a riot because people believed John was a prophet. So John does end up getting killed, but this is the one guy who not only was related to Jesus, but baptized Jesus. So in, in Jewish leaders' minds, they're like, hey, we, we killed that guy for what the problems he was causing, and you're related, and you were baptized, so obviously you believe in that ministry somehow. Let's be honest here. So again, Jesus probably had a rocky start with the religious and political leaders right from the get-go. Right from the get-go. And if, again, if we're honest, Jesus 
as he engages dialogue with them, he's a little bit evasive. And he tells us he, he does that on purpose. Jesus was not pursuing religious leaders who had already hardened their heart toward and determined that they weren't going to serve him, they weren't going to hear him out, they weren't going to follow him. Those were the people he was not going after those people. And we read that, and that's a tough thing to wrap our minds around because sometimes I think some of you have experienced the same thing. I think that, like Jesus, the, the Word says he is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And I think that if we're believers and we love the people here tonight, we're probably saying the same exact thing. I don't want to see anybody perish. But then Jesus had to make intentional decisions about pursuing certain people, investing in certain people, and then realizing when other people's hearts were hardened, he loved them, he didn't stop loving them, but he was not saying, I'm not going to pursue someone who has already hardened their heart toward me. And I think we deal with that sometimes, even yet today, where we try to make disciples, invest, mentor, love, just teach, train, do things for people. But when someone says, hey, I'm not interested, I don't want what you have, I'm, my heart is hardened toward this message, then I have to go, okay, and you have to go, well, who can I look for that has an open heart? That is going to allow me to invest something. I can't invest something in a closed account, right? And so Jesus, he, you take a look at some of the examples of, of this kind of evasiveness. Matthew 13, 10, his disciples came and said, why do you use parables when you talk to the people? He replied, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. Doesn't seem fair almost, does it? To those who, are, who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. And they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. You want to grow with God? Keep being hungry for knowledge. And then you know what a lot of times people say, I want revelation, give me fresh revelation, give me, give, me, give me a word, Lord, I just want to hear from you. And I think sometimes, you know what God's saying? First, follow the first word I gave you. You don't need any new fresh revelation. You don't need a fresh word right now. I already gave you one, follow that one first. Because when we do, deeper revelation will come. When we say, God, more understanding will be given when I take the first steps in obedience. That's why I use parables, he says, for they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah. Notice, we see this a lot. Jesus is fulfilling all these Old Testament prophecies, and Isaiah has more messianic, meaning Messiah prophecies, than any other Old Testament prophet. And he says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. That was prophesied hundreds of years earlier. And Jesus says, for the hearts of the pe these people are hardened. Their ears cannot hear. They have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot see. Their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand. They cannot turn to me and let me heal them. Notice he did not say he had no desire. Jesus had a desire. He says, I came to preach to the captives, set the captives free, heal the brokenhearted. That was his desire. Kind of like the Bible says, everybody loves John 3, 16. For God's love of the world, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, right? It, it says you should not. doesn't say we cannot. Because of what Christ did on Calvary, not a single soul should ever perish. 
But we read other scriptures where it says straight as the gate narrows the way, few there be that find it. Why? If he's saying on one hand, I don't want anybody to perish. But then in another time it says, few there be that find it. It almost seems like a contradiction. But if you read on in that chapter, I think it's Matthew 7, it goes on and says, beware of false prophets. Because part of the reason that causes people to perish is the fact that we open ourselves up to false doctrine. We don't, like he's saying here, listen, you're hearing, you're seeing, but you need to do something with it. You want deeper revelation? Follow the words I'm giving you. Another place, you know, he, he wasn't afraid to come in here and, and get to the nitty gritty, to get down to the, to the, to the in-depth, you know, reach down into the very depths of our soul. On another time, he, he starts to deal with the topic of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And honestly, that's probably just as sensitive, sensitive of a topic today as it was back then. Matthew 19, verse 3, some of the Pharisees came and tried to trap him with questions. Hey, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for any reason? Jesus says, haven't you read the scriptures? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man cleaves, or man, I'm sorry, leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they're no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. See, and you thought that was just done at weddings. It's scriptural. Then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? See, they're trying to trick him. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it wasn't what God originally intended. And I'll tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. Jesus' disciples then said, if that's the case, it's better not to marry. Well, taking, see, that's still, that's still a sensitive topic. Throw that on Facebook and see how many comments you get. But taking marriage lightly has always been a mark of a culture that is void of God. Taking marriage lightly has always been the mark of a culture void of God. You think back, marriage from the very beginning was a type and shadow of God's relationship to the church. This is why he calls his church the bride of Christ, the family of God, brothers and sisters. This is this is his con- this was his plan. So for us to say, ah, I'm going to marry this person, I'm going to marry that, I'm done here, ah, I'm kind of bored, move over to this person, that is not God's plan and will. You look at Matthew 24, 37, and, and his disciples were saying, what's the sign of the end times? How do we know when the last days is around? And he says, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Until the day Noah entered the ark. So the day of salvation came. They were just kind of ah, partying around, marrying and giving in marriage. And they didn't even knew, knew not the flood came and took them all away. That's how it's going to be with the Son of Man coming back. So wow, what a sign to look for. 
marrying and giving in marriage, taking marriage lightly, which is the type and shadow of Christ's relationship to the church. What am I saying? Jesus was not afraid to give a clear word in a culture that stood against him. People want to paint this picture today of Jesus being this super kind of just weak, feminine guy that's like, come as you are, I just love you. I just want to give you a hug. And I just, and, and, and again, I say that tongue in cheek, but we, we should be people who are, it says, beloved, love, love is of God and God is love. We should be loving. So in me making a little joke there, it's not saying we shouldn't love people and welcome people no matter what their lifestyle is, how they live, look, act, what they believe in. But to picture Jesus as this kind of wimp. Yeah, I know. Oh, I understand. No. I just come here. I want to give you a hug. I love you. Just like you are. I love you. That's kind of how culture wants to paint this picture of Jesus. We're to speak the truth in love. But we better be prepared to stand against a culture that is going to push us in things where we stand that they that where we stand against things that they say are normal because i never one time read jesus getting together with his disciples and say guys you know you heard me preach but times are changing you know we need to be more relevant to the century in which we're living and so i think that we have to change our approach you know we have to now should methods change absolutely i mean that's why i paid money for these lights and stuff okay this doesn't make the church, but it seems like it's important to people in this culture. It's not sin. So if we need to change lights, I'll change lights. No big deal. But message, doctrine, that never changes. Truth doesn't change. But yet we're living in this society where people are saying truth is relative. It's relative to my circumstance, my situation. And, and, and even life is relative Oh, boy. Life is relative to the, to the situation in which the person became pregnant. Where is that in Scripture? Who decides when conception takes place? Well, it's the people involved, but it's also God Almighty. So somehow that's become a political message when I don't care if you want to call me Libertarian, Green Party, Democrat, Republican, um, I'm going to align with what Scripture says. And so if God chooses when life begins, then, then God's the only one that has the authority to choose when life ends. And so... This is a hot topic button. This is a hot button topic right now. Another thing that's a hot button topic that I don't think Jesus would have stayed away from these things. Would he be wise? Would he preach it with love? Would he, would he have a clear voice? Would he just try to hurt people or bash people? Absolutely not. But he certainly wouldn't sit back and say, guys, hey, Peter, I know you've got a big mouth, dude. You need to relax. You're going to get us all in trouble. Peter, you need to be quiet because the political sect, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, uh, we're going to be on Facebook. There's going to be streaming this service. You can't say that. I just can't imagine Jesus doing that. 
And so there has to be a clear voice where he says, you know what? Hey, I love you. Truth is there. You want, you want truth? We can dive into truth. And I'm gonna give you the, when you go away, I'm going to give you more truth. But let me tell you what truth is. It does not change with situations. I like to, uh, I dealt with this a little bit this week. <laughs> I like to, when I go to Branson, I go to that outlet mall there. And I try to get clothes cheap because I'm too cheap to pay full price. I'm paying $120 for a pair of pants. You done lost your mind. So I'll go to Branson. They'll have a, I like Banana Republic. It used to be old people's clothes. Now it's kind of in style. It's amazing. But um, <laughs> so, but it's tough sometimes trying to find clothes there. I went in there last, last time I was there, and I said, uh, I said, what's the baggiest pair of pants you have. I don't want to try and peel my pants off my body. Okay? But it's like, they said these ones. I tried those pants and I said, I think you misunderstood me. I asked for the baggiest pair of pants. Those are it. I said, well, my Lord, what do the skinny ones look like? <laughs> my goodness. So, uh, so I buy some stuff from there. And uh, I got an email. I'm on their mailing list. I like, like the coupons. And uh, I, I get an email, and uh, I should have just kept it and read it to you, but it says, we have these new T-shirts celebrating gay pride, and half of the proceeds go to support uh, homosexual groups, and um, hopefully Facebook doesn't, but we're streaming right now. This is not hate speech, but they might block it. I don't know. Um, but they... Half of the proceeds go to support homosexuality. And it says, we believe in, in uh, open mindset. We believe in inclusiveness, all walks of life, and we want to support every viewpoint. I just couldn't take it. I, just, I replied to the company. And I said, hey, I got your email. I said, uh, you know, your customer base does not all stand for the same stuff. And... Um, I said, and so I feel like you're kind of pushing one, one lifestyle on me. And they emailed back and they said, oh, no, we, we have inclusiveness, all walks of life. We embrace this, and that's what we're all about. And I said, well, awesome. I pastor a church, and we preach love, and we are a safe place for people. I said, so I'm for the bettering of people's lives, too. Can I talk to someone about you supporting our church? I ain't even lying. I sent the email. I'll show it to you. They responded the first time, and I said, because if, if what you're saying is correct, all walks of life, inclusiveness, I said, I feel like there's a pattern in society where it's all walks of life and inclusiveness, except for people who believe the Bible or are Christ-like. So here's the thing. I would honestly, even though I don't stand for it, I'm okay with you saying, this is our walk of life. Okay, we're supporting homosexuality. Well, then, then send me an email next week that says you're supporting a Christ-centered movement that is furthering the gospel message. If that's inclusiveness, then let's be inclusive. And that's what irritates me about, about this mindset of if I stand for something, then that's hate speech. I don't hate a homosexual person. I think scripture speaks against it. And so just like it speaks against a whole slew of other sins, I'm not sitting here picking out one sin to pick on. Okay, we're sitting here with sins in our lives that we need help with. But to say it's inclusive, all walks of life, that is not 
true. It's the, I'm open-minded to people who are in the same ballpark as I am. I haven't heard back from my email. Maybe they'll send us a check in the mail. Did you see Banana Republic carrying Refuge Church? Experience hope, offer hope. Half of your proceeds go to the building fund, the stewardship campaign of Liberty, Missouri. Well, I'm fine. We'll name our family life center, Banana Republic Center. They can pay for it. I just, ah, it just frustrates the living daylights out of me. Just like recently when they spoke about the, 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 uh, the transgender bathrooms. Well, okay, they pulled an NCAA tournament out of North Carolina because they would not allow transgender bathrooms. Disney CEO just was talking about the fact that it's going to be very hard to do business in, I think, Alabama or something. They, they go overseas into, like, Politically oppressive areas, but now when you pull an abortion, you pull an abortion, make a change in an abortion law, and then he's going to talk about it's hard to do business in a certain area? Come on. Come on. So what I'm saying here is it's not me just bashing society. I just get up here, hand me a mic, and let me tell you what my candy stick is. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is society is countercultural to, to, to the word oftentimes. And sometimes the people who are saying, you need to be open-minded, are the most closed-minded people. And I just don't see Jesus sitting back and going, guys, we just don't want to say anything. James, John, you guys are sons of thunder. But you know you need to be sons of rain right now. Thunder's too strong. When Jesus was pressed by religious leaders, he held a line of strength, and he responded in wisdom. They didn't appreciate his response. I don't think Banana Republic appreciated mine. Matthew 21, 23 says, when he was coming to the temple, the chiefs, priests, and elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority doest thou these things, and who gave thee this authority? Jesus said, I'll ask you the same thing. He turned the tables on them. That's what I was trying to do, but Jesus is smarter than me, but I was trying that mindset. He says, I I likewise tell you about what authority I do these things. The baptism of John Wentz was, was it heaven or from men? They reason among themselves. You notice he was trying to get them at their own gain. Let me ask you a question in front of the whole group, because people looked at John as the prophet. He he knew they didn't want to say, John's of God. Well, then why did you kill him? John's a man, there ain't nothing. Then there might be an uproar from the people that think he's a prophet. So he says, so what? Tell me about it. But if we shall say a man, I would fear the people. And they, so, they, so they said in verse 27, we can't tell. And he said, well, neither then. I, I'm not going to tell you what authority I do things either then because you're not answering my question. He knew who he was. He knew he was called to do. He, and he was not intimidated by who he was or by who they were. He didn't feed into any uh, uh, baiting or trying to prove himself. Matthew 12, 38 says that certain of the scribes and Pharisees said, Hey, Master, we want a sign from you. He said, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. There's no sign given except for the prophet Jonah. For Jonah was three days, three nights in the whale's belly. So shall the Son of Man be three days, three nights in the heart of the earth. 
In addition, Jesus partnered with and traveled with outcasts of society. I mean, the guy called the hated tax collector Matthew. He called a, 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 a zealot, a despised zealot mercenary named Simon. He called people without societal respect who were just fishermen, people who didn't meet the expectation of the religious of that day. But that's probably not a big surprise because he himself didn't live up to their expectation. But he knew who he was. He knew he was reaching to, and he didn't allow himself to be deterred. So because he wasn't aiming to please the religious bigwigs of that day, he didn't stress about traditions. Well, we have this tradition. Well, this is the way we do things in society. Well, this is what we believe. This is what Jesus did, Matthew 9, 14. One day, the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and said, Why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? Jesus said, Do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? I mean, imagine that. I got a daughter. I'm going to try that. She gets married. I'm going to be like, folks, this is a spiritual wedding. There's no eating here tonight. We're going to fast. Man, that would save me some money. <laughs> Do wedding guests mourn while they're celebrating? No, of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they'll fast. Matthew 15, 1, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus, and they said, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? They ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. I just wonder if anybody wanted to go, guys, are you, ser are you serious right now? You came here from Jerusalem to get stressed out about hand-washing? Matthew 12, 1. At the time, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and this is a story. They, he sees him picking, plucking grain on the Sabbath day. So now, they are stressed out because they're not fasting, they're not washing their hands, and they're picking food on the Sabbath. Big things, right? That's why Jesus looks at him and says, man, on the outside, you got things together. On the inside, you are whitewashed sepulchers. You guys are messed up, looking good on the outside, but your insides are, are, are putrid. He wasn't afraid. It's really this simple when you think about it. If you are committed, committed, wholeheartedly committed to living for truth, you can't get around it. There are times the world is going to hate you for it. Wish I had something more encouraging. We know it ends encouraging. We're going to spend eternity with Jesus. But if you really truly stand for something, the world's going to hate you at times. I don't think Banana Republic executives are in a meeting tonight going, you know, I really appreciate his boldness. I think he's got good ideas. And so that's what I say, abortion, addictions, and what causes them, homosexuality. If I speak about what the Bible says about these things, I'd be speaking truth. But the world might hate me for that. And honestly, what makes me nervous is I'm, I'm sometimes afraid that the church is getting confused too. Remember, the devil, the devil always aims to cause confusion and cast doubt. Just because the world stands for or, for or against something, don't let them make you feel pressured to conform to something that clearly goes against the principles of God's word. 
Jesus never conformed to their way of, think, way of thinking because his thinking was never meant to conform to their way of thinking. And neither is ours. Maybe I, do, maybe I need to do a lesson on what the Bible says about some of these things to remind us what Scripture says. But like Jesus, we don't aim to damage or hurt people. My goal is not to be like, get out. You like it? If you don't like it, then leave. Like, no, that's ridiculous. That's not, that's not what he's called us to do. We don't zero in on one type of sin. I mentioned a couple of things just because they're hot-button topics in society, but not because I think those are just more drastically worse than lying or committing adultery. I mean, like, okay, homosexuality is sin. Well, so is adultery. I mean, like, sin is sin. But there are sins where Jesus says they're an abomination. So there's that. But we must stand for biblical principles in spite of whatever culture is pushing. Matthew 12, uh, 21, 12 says, Jesus went in the temple, cast them all out, that bought and sold in the temple, and overthrew the tables and the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves, and said to them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, and you've made it a den of thieves. I cannot imagine that he would have got the, 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 the gubernatorial mayoral vote at that moment in that city. He, he didn't aim to fit in in society. He came to seek and save the lost, but not at the expense of fitting in with them. Let us never lose that clarity in our walk with Jesus Christ. We as a church aim to be a safe place for new people to come no matter what. They are welcome here. But if people can stick around our lifestyle and our preaching for a decade and never feel uncomfortable in their sin, there's a problem. Jesus longs to speak to people and reveal himself to them. Look at the outcasts he has follow him. But he invited them to repent, to follow, to change and when people were willing to put their trust in him, he would give them deeper and deeper and deeper revelations. This is why he did not come on the scene and start with his disciples. Follow me and I'll make you fishermen. By the way, I'm God manifest in flesh. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to fill you with my spirit. I'm going to have you get... He didn't give it to him. He's progressive revelation. He gives us what we're capable of. This is the way we learn. They don't start off in sixth grade and say, all right, guys, grab your calculus book. We're jumping into this. I want you to be smarter than everyone else. Progressive. We live in a day where Jesus paid the price for our sin. He wants to wash our sins away in the waters of baptism. He longs for communion and relationship with us. He desires to fill us with his spirit and dwell in us. He wants to lead us, guide us, and eventually he wants to be with us forever in eternity. He did not come with the flash and spark of someone needing attention. He didn't make his status or fame the centerpiece. He didn't come in with pomp and circumstance and a big crown and a scepter like they wanted him to. Instead, he chose a path of humility, privacy, and revelation that is recognized by faith. His way wasn't easy, and it still is not always easy. His principles and approach were countercultural, and they still are countercultural. 
It is a misunderstanding to think that this right now in 2019 is the only difficult time in history to stand out and be separate from culture. Study the words, study historical books. If you're saying, yeah, but right now, it's just so hard. It's so much harder than ever before in history to be separate from this world. You are so wrong. Every culture, every single time frame of humanity, it has been a challenge for the people of God to say, I'm different than culture. So people today that say, love, love is never disagreeing, always supporting, never standing up against anything. This is just not the love I see from Jesus Christ. And that's just in 40, 35 minutes of teaching. I mean, like, read the word. You will see. He loved people. But love does not mean that I can't disagree. He was willing to stand up and challenge Peter. He called people to change. He stood up to the political leaders and the Pharisees. He believed in them and invited them to follow something deeper, some of them. In the end, Jesus was vindicated. Guess what? He won arguments. He exercised demons, healed lives, raised people from the dead, and ultimately raised from the dead himself. His ministry was so public in some ways, but yet so quiet and unassuming in other ways. But he was always in control. He never lost power, and he never allowed culture to influence him. Instead, everywhere he went, he was the one influencing the culture around him. I think we need more spirit-filled believers that do the exact same thing. Does that mean that I go out today and get a megaphone and start preaching against the hot-button topics, and, and I just want to go out and shout against abortion or homosexuality or something? No, I don't think that's wisdom. I don't think that's wisdom. I think you're going to push people away and you're going to cause hurt and pain. But to get to the point where, ah, yeah, but there's this situation. Well, I don't really know about this. Yeah, but have you thought about this? And, and, and we're, we're reasoning so much that everything we're doing is just releasing a little bit more. Instead of embracing and saying, you know what, now is the time that instead of culture impacting me, I want to get to the place where everywhere I go, I impact culture. Everywhere I go, I leave a positive mark in culture. And it, why, it doesn't mean that I have to let something go. It doesn't mean that I have to release morals, values, theology. His ministry wasn't easy. It caused his death on the cross, and it caused his disciples their lives where all of them except John were killed for this message. What a devastating end to the story. What a terrible tragedy. Worse than Romeo and Juliet. Shakespeare couldn't have written something more tragic. If, if, this world was the final goal. But if this world's not the final goal, and we know that this, we're just passing through, and we're heading somewhere, somewhere eternal, then there's nothing tragic about that. They gained their reward. They died in Christ. And to, to die is gain, right? And so no matter what society thinks what they can do to us, Matthew 10, 28 says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both your soul and body in hell. 
What's the price of two sparrows? One copper coin, which is nothing. But not a single sparrow falls to the ground without your father knowing it. The very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. I, I hear love in that discussion. I hear him looking at his followers, and I'm closing, looking at his followers and saying, guys, don't be afraid. You're against culture, society. You feel threatened. As a matter of fact, some of you might even lose your lives, but don't be threatened and so scared about that because I'm with you, and I'll always be with you. You know, those little birds that don't mean much, they can't fall to the ground without me seeing. I know where you are. And I hear compassion. He cared about his followers, and he still does. That doesn't mean that we're not going to go through things on this earth. And if we do, that means he doesn't care. He didn't say this world doesn't have power to harm us. He said, don't worry when someone does harm you, because eternity matters more than the temporal. So I invite you to stand to your feet. Might not have been what you expected tonight when I said the ministry of Jesus. But I think this is important to see. The society in which we live, we serve a God of love, a God of compassion. We serve a strong God. A strong God. The world, this world that we all live in has such a pull on all of us. I don't care how spiritual you think you are. It has a pull on all of us. It's going to pull in some way, shape, or form or multiple forms. But I want to be more like Jesus. I want to make disciples. I want to invest my life in developing people. I want to make sure the views of the surrounding society do not dictate the way I live my life. Man, I remember so many times growing up, I tell my dad, my sister can vouch for it. We would all, well, whatever so and so does it, well, in their house, my friends never have to do this. And my dad would say, I don't care. I'm not their dad. Man, didn't you hate that answer? Oh, I hated it. But you know what? He didn't. I'm so thankful that he didn't. Because a lot of those people that I wanted to be just like, today I look and I go, oh my Lord, I don't want to be anything like what they are. It's not a hierarchy or I'm better than them. I just see the struggles. Because where we are now and where we'll be in 10 years and 20 years is a result of every daily decision we make. I want to stand strong for what is clearly stated in the Bible, even if it means temporary pain or being an outcast. Why? Because this world isn't where I'm staying long term. The ministry of Jesus was one of power, authority, salvation, hope, strength, compassion. But it was also one that didn't waver, stood strong, kept an eternal vantage point, didn't live in fear, and was willing to sacrifice all. Man, I didn't expect this in the ministry of Jesus. It's because this isn't as popular. But this is what he's calling for. Believers that stand strong. That know what they believe. 
Let the ministry of Jesus speak to you tonight. He knows where you are. His eyes are on your situation. You might be struggling. You might feel like an outcast. You might feel like the world's against you. In some circumstance, that might be the case. Stand strong. His eye is on the sparrow, and the sparrow isn't as valuable as you are. The hairs in your head are numbered. He knows right where you are, and he wants to give you deeper revelation. But what will you first do with the first revelation that he's given you? Keep your eyes on eternal, not the temporal. Keep your eyes on what matters long term, not the here and now. I invite you tonight as we wrap up to find a place to pray and just just reaffirm that commitment to Jesus. Just tell him, God, I'm just reaffirming again, Lord. No matter who stands, no matter what society says, I'm going to try and reach the society. I'm going to try and be like you, Jesus, where everywhere I go, I make an impact in someone's life. That someone, you know, you watch sinners walk up and they spent time with Jesus. Because he wasn't just judging them from the get-go. He loved them, and they felt that love. But as they spent time with him, all of a sudden you just saw their lives would begin to radically change in the presence of Jesus Christ. That's what I want. That's what I want. Jesus' name.